several factors can contribute to that inflammation in PCOS. It could be from having insulin resistance, which can trigger inflammation and promote the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines in your body. It can be from having abdominal fat, which is metabolically active and releases hormones and inflammatory substances. It can be from having dysregulation of your immune system. An increased activation of immune cells can contribute to the chronic inflammation in PCOS, and this could be genetic. Um, And we're going to talk about how food and environmental factors and gluten can increase the activation of immune cells in this episode. Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna put them on and take control of yourself. Join a sister and a Welcome, everyone, to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. I don't like these official intros. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. I don't like it when I do it. <laughs> I just feel like it comes off as like we're some sort of a talk show. I mean, not. I think it's fun. I think the cheesiness is fun. Yeah. <laughs> we like being cheesy. But not with, di- not with like real cheesy because, you know, y'all know we're dairy free. You know that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so before this episode, we were thinking like, what should we tell you guys about that's new going on in our lives and i don't know if i've mentioned this before on a podcast episode but i'm trying to get more into my hobbies and fun creative activities we've been stressed um we've been a little stressed and we'll spill that tea later in another episode i mean everyone's stressed but i just think that like doing something that's fun and creative really helps me get my mind off of things like really it does it takes me to like this happy place that actually like carries me through the entire day and even the next day. And I just like think of how relaxed I was when I was doing it. So lately I have been creating plates out of clay. So Mm -hmm. I always wanted to take a ceramics class in college, but because I was studying nutrition, I felt like there was just like no time or energy to do something creative like that. I didn't have the patience um, to sit there and, you know, be judged on like my pots and stuff when my mind was going towards like OCHEM and all those crazy classes that was hard enough. So I really wanted to do ceramics for the longest time. And I always like put it off. I took classes here and me and Sirak took a class together. I took a class with my sister. And then finally I was like, I don't want to take a class. I don't want to throw a bowl on a wheel or whatever it's called. It's hurting my scoliosis ass back. Like I just can't do all of this. I just want clay and I want to make what I want. (laughs) So I bought the clay. I looked it up on YouTube. I'm making plates. They are so cute. They're flat plates with like a little bit of an edge. Mm -hmm. I'm pressing lavender from our garden into them for this like gorgeous little imprinted lavender look. Um, And I'm going to paint the whole thing white. And then I'm going to paint the lavender like blue and purple and stuff. I'm going to make like a whole set of plates of little jam plates, cups that match, serving platters with like lavender print on it like it's just going to be this whole vibe and i'll take you along the journey with me by the way i'm taking it to a ceramic studio studio to have it fired i'm not like doing it in my house so that's the thing the Look, it's loophole. really creative like the way you put the lavender flowers on the plate to make that indentation to make mm-hmm. it look like a real lavender 
like flour there. Yeah. I can't wait to see what it looks like once you put it in the furnace, paint it. I don't know what the process is, but like, yeah, it's going to look sick. I don't even know the full freaking process. I've never done this before. I'm just like YouTubing and, and figuring just, it just out. Just wait till you like get even better and better at it. Because of course, this is, you made two plates so far. Mm-hmm. You have to realize like, just like with like anything else, like your first two, four, five, 10, 20 times are not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But imagine what you'll do like once you have like months of like experience yeah and stuff like that not that it's bad at all i'm no, just saying for like sure. you, what you've done is already great but imagine like and it saves us money we don't have to go to a crate and barrel <laughs> and get a whole 12 12 person 12 dining set well it also like means something to me because i like to cook and yeah. i want to like sit down and like eat the food i cooked on the plate i made like it has a special meaning to me because in our family history and Sirak's family as well, women like would make their own clothes. Like my grandma and my mom would like crochet and sew and like make their own dresses and clothes and drapes and like not plates. Okay. But like everything that they could make by hand themselves, mm-hmm. they made. And if you saw like what my grandma's house looked like, it was all her like basically art is what I would call it that she would like crochet and make and even like paintings and um, just like things all over the house like she would crochet like pots for plants as well and I mean macrame that's what it's called so anyways there's something special about doing it yourself and making it like an artistic thing yeah no that's really cool and just the overall relaxation you get from it like working with your hands it just gives you like this like focus on something and not being distracted by noise by screens you just you in that moment working on that plate yeah simple yep just it's like gardening not 10 things at once not 10 tabs open at once just one thing just that plate just that freaking plate yes (laughs) (laughs) so sisters today we have a special episode we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics which is gluten we're going to talk about how gluten and glutamate cause inflammation in pcos how they can worsen insulin resistance, how they can worsen a lot of issues like like thyroid problems and more. It's going to be a really interesting episode where we kind of expand on, you know, the side effects of gluten, glutamate, and we're going to get really sciencey today too. Yes. A lot of science, a lot of information is going to come at you. So make sure you download this episode and you save it so you can like kind of rewind a couple times to re-listen mm-hmm. to certain areas because we really, you know, dug up some, some good stuff. <laughs> But before we get into it, how about our Monday motivation? Yeah. Sirak, hit it. Well, these are our sisters who are thriving with PCOS, reversing their symptoms, and as we always say, showing PCOS who the boss is. Our first post is from Kitty from the Sisterhood. She said, I just want to take a moment to thank you for introducing me to your amazing PCOS-friendly recipes. Since I started incorporating them into my diet, going dairy-free and gluten-free, I've seen such a huge improvement in my overall health and well-being. Before I discovered this sisterhood, I was constantly feeling fatigued and unmotivated. I was struggling to maintain a healthy weight and my mood was often low. But since I started eating your delicious and nutritious meals, I've experienced a complete transformation. Not only do I have so much more energy now, but I'm also able to take on more physical activities than before. I started weight training at the gym once a week, doing aqua aerobics once a week, swimming when I get the chance, and taking lots more walks. 
and I've even lost 9 kilograms and she puts 20 pounds in parentheses. Wow, that's in just two months. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. This is a fun lifestyle that I can definitely keep up. I've struggled with sticking to a diet or a meal plan in the past. Your recipes have been truly life-changing for me, and I can't thank you enough. You've given me the tools to take control of my health and well-being, and I'm so grateful to have this sisterhood and yourself as a source of inspiration for healthy living. You're making a real difference in people's lives. Wow. Thank you, Kitty. So it almost sweet. sounds like an ad for for, for us. Yeah, but in reality, we're just reading her real Link message. Link in the description yeah. to join us. We're, just, we're literally just reading a real message from Kitty in the Facebook group, and we want to really highlight her wins, though, here, more, more importantly than us, of course, and that is how she was able to lose 20 pounds in two months. That's 10 pounds a month, which is great progress. I mean, we usually talk about losing one to two pounds a week, and she was a little bit more than that, which is great. You know, the weight training, the aerobics, um, swimming, you know, taking more walks. All of these things, you know, just add up, especially when you um, swap out the meals and your diet and lifestyle. Good for you, Kitty. Next is a message from someone who is, I think, Russian because I can't read the letters. Yeah, it's one of those. It's a different, different language for sure. Yes. So she's from the sisterhood and she says, hello, sisters. I have been waiting for a long time to tell you that thanks to the sisterhood and PCOS weight loss, I became a mother. I started wow. eating from the recipes on the website, cut out sugar completely, reduced stress through yoga and went to acupuncture with proper nutrition and balance in my life. Anything is achievable. Thanks, Talin and Sirak. Wow. Congrats, You're so sister. welcome. And congratulations on becoming a mother. So happy for you and yeah good like, for you doing amazing doing amazing awesome so we did a poll in the yeah. sisterhood and we asked when it comes to finding the right doctor for pcos what's your biggest challenge mm -hmm. and sisters in the sisterhood app they voted and here is their votes so starting from the smallest number sure 12 percent so 12% said that time constraints and long wait times for appointments were their biggest challenge. 15% mm. said lack of effective communication and support from their doctors. Mm -hmm. And then next one, 30% said struggling to find doctors who take a holistic approach to PCOS care. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big definitely one. hard. 43% said difficulty finding doctors specializing in PCOS and someone who has knowledge in it. Yeah. That's definitely challenging. What I would do is call the doctor's office before going and especially if it's a gyno and ask, you know, do they see a lot of patients with PCOS and is this something that she specializes in, the doctor he or she specializes in, like do a little bit of research to see how you like the vibe. Because you don't want to go there and feel dismissed or like you're talking to someone who doesn't have a lot of experience in it, even though still like they might say, yeah, we know everything and then you go and they don't. So it's going to take some trial and error and I would take research studies with you and I would bring knowledge that you've learned from the Sisterhood app or our website or anything. Bring that with you. Show that you are well versed in PCOS and you know your body very well. Mm -hmm. And then see what the doctor's approach is. Are they open to you trying new things, changing your diet, going gluten dairy free, or are they really negative about things and just pushing birth control no matter what? Like, what is their approach? Because yeah. you want someone who's understanding. And doctors have studied. The, what they've studied they haven't studied like functional medicine and natural medicine so you can't expect everything from them but you can expect you know respect and an open mind and just like you know being okay with like 
looking at research studies and stuff like that. Yes. So that's pretty interesting though. 73% if you combine the two highest scores, difficulty finding doctors specializing in PCOS, someone who has knowledge in it, and then struggling to find doctors who take a holistic approach. 73% yeah. is a big It's big, hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And we just also want to know too, like, that's why we uh, we interview doctors on our podcast very frequently. So if you look through our feed, you'll, f- you'll see that we've had a lot of doctors on the mm-hmm. podcast. They've been vetted and we really believe in their in their practice and like our favorite and Tallinn's doctor herself is dr felis gersh so like she does virtual appointments too and of course when it comes to any naturopathic holistic doctor they will be more expensive than going to a conventional doctor with insurance and things like that so just keep that in mind too like we know that it it can be more expensive but at the same time it's more expensive for a reason because they, they're really looking deep into your root causes. They're taking a holistic approach. They usually do testing from their side that's not supported by insurance, hence why it costs a bit more. So just keep that in mind too, like Dr. Phyllis Gersh and any of the doctors you've seen on our podcast and in the sisterhood can be helpful. Yes. Zinc, vitamin D, magnesium, B12, these are all the vitamins that we're deficient in because of PCOS and the list grows on. If there was only a way to get all of these into one supplement bundle without going on a massive online search. Hello. What? Isn't that why we created Metabolism Plus? Oh, you mean our supplement line that covers all the nutrients and vitamins a woman with PCOS needs in one bundle? Yes. Sisters, when I was diagnosed with PCOS, I was so overwhelmed with researching all the different supplement companies, and eventually I had a huge collection of bottles in my cabinet that I couldn't even keep up with. So with that in mind, we created a bundle of four essential supplements that have the fundamental nutrients for women with PCOS, and it's called Metabolism Plus. Not only does our bundle include omega-3, coenzyme Q10, curcumin, but it even has a multivitamin designed to fill nutrient gaps that are common in women with PCOS. And what makes it really special is that all of our supplements are NSF certified, which means they are third-party tested for purity and accuracy. Head over to ovafit.org to order your Metabolism Plus bundle today. That's ovafit.org. Okay, stop smelling. The link is in the description. How dare you? Now, with that being said, let's get into it. Talking about how gluten, the protein gliadin, and glutamate can cause inflammation in PCOS women. So here's the thing. One of the reasons why I bring this up is because PCOS is an inflammatory condition and chronic low-grade inflammation is believed to contribute to the development of PCOS. Mm -hmm. Several factors can contribute to that inflammation in PCOS. It could be from having insulin resistance, which can trigger inflammation and promote the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines in your body. Mm-hmm. It can be from having abdominal fat, which is metabolically active and releases hormones and inflammatory substances. Wow. It can be from having dysregulation of your immune system. An increased activation of immune cells can contribute to the chronic inflammation in PCOS, and this could be genetic. Um, And we're going to talk about how food and environmental factors and gluten can increase the activation of immune cells in this episode. Yes. So, I mean, we're specifically going to talk about gluten, but 
you know, environmental factors as well can tie into this. And while inflammation is associated with PCOS, it's important to note that not everyone with PCOS will have the same degree of inflammation. And the reason why we have inflammation may vary. So we're about to talk about gluten and the proteins found in gluten and their effect on inflammation. But it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone with PCOS, but it's certainly something to consider since PCOS is an inflammatory condition and we already have chronic inflammation going on and gluten is an inflammatory food. To kind of expand on that too is like a lot of times, you know, people talk in like like in black or white, meaning you have to go gluten-free for PCOS or you don't have to go gluten-free at all for PCOS. It's not meant for everyone. But that statement alone, you don't have to go, you, or the statement, you can eat gluten with PCOS, you don't have to go gluten-free with PCOS is actually a black and white statement because almost everybody has a gluten sensitivity to a certain point. For some, it's more, for some, it's less. So there is already a spectrum of gluten sensitivity for almost everybody in the population. Right. So by stating that you don't have to go gluten-free with PCOS or just even saying gluten doesn't affect PCOS, that alone is actually a black and white statement that's actually not doing a certain, it's doing a disservice to everybody, including the PCOS community. So, you know, we never say you have to go gluten-free for PCOS. We never say that. We always talk about try going gluten-free for 30 days and see how it affects you. But when people say you can eat all the gluten you want with PCOS, they're literally doing the opposite of that which helping is you, yeah. helping you they're making it this black and white blanket well, it's because statement because they want to go viral yeah because they found a topic that's controversial and yeah. so you know when if you want to go viral on social media you have to say some kind of like blanket statement like that and yeah. you then you capture all this attention and like you really raise everyone's cortisol over it and so it's yeah. just a, it's irresponsible and honestly. i do want and we'll get to this point where after 2006 the rates of gluten sensitivity actually skyrocketed and we'll get towards the end we'll explain why that happened after 2006 Yes, but before we get into it, what is gluten in general? So it's a broader term for any protein found in wheat, rye, or barley. And you're probably thinking, oh, I don't eat wheat, rye, or barley. But these are grains that are actually found in pizza, pastries, pasta, baked foods. And it's used as a thickener in things like soy sauce ice cream, toothpaste, all kinds of products, sometimes shampoo. That's because gluten is like a gum and it's a thickener and it binds things together. And so if you have like a high gluten bread, it's chewy, it's delicious. You know, it gives you that mouthfeel that you're looking for. And so that's gluten. And I remember when I went gluten-free a long time ago, there wasn't a lot of gluten-free products. So they'd always like fall apart, like the pastas and stuff. And they were weird and, you know, crackers were like powdery. Like it was back then, it was not the vibe. And that's because people didn't know how to create foods without that gum gluten, that thickener. the thickener gluten. And now, you know, we've come a long way. And now keep in mind how that could affect your intestines, right? Mm-hmm. As that gluten is going through your intestines, it's it can be like a gum and it's causing your causing bloating, causing mm-hmm. more inflammation. And one of the reasons for that is how wheat has essentially been modified over the last hundred years. 
you know, back in the back in the early 1900s, what they did was they genetically modified wheat to be stronger stock that can be taller, that wouldn't be affected by weather, by any sort of pests. But what that did is it made thicker gluten, essentially thicker wheat. Mm-hmm. They did that immediately in the 1900s. Well, our bodies take thousands and thousands of years to get used to certain kinds of food. So when you all of a sudden change how a f- certain food group is, now our bodies are not able to um, digest that completely or not able to fully process it through the system because it's now thicker than before. Yeah, it makes it harder to digest. And gluten, you know, it's not inflammatory to everyone, but to varying degrees, it can be inflammatory. It's an inflammatory protein, but that doesn't mean it is going to gum up everyone's intestine the same way. Um, The truth is, like Sirak said earlier, all people are gluten intolerant to varying degrees because it increases inflammation in the gut and gut permeability. But for some people, it increases the level of inflammation in their body exponentially. And that inflammation moves your gut and it moves from your gut and it goes through your intestine, like Sirak mentions, and it can lead to symptoms like cystic acne, hair loss, weight gain, and fatigue. Bloating especially. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but does that mean you should never eat gluten again? No, not necessarily. I mean, it means that you've been chronically exposed to inflammation and your body is starting to react to it and you're having these inflammatory symptoms. And perhaps after you cut back on inflammatory foods and reduce the inflammation in your environment and do all these things, you may be able to have it a couple times a week without seeing a huge immediate reaction. I mean, even if I had gluten right now, I think I'd be fine. I mean, and I've Mm -hmm. had it and I'm fine, you know, a little bloated, whatever. It's not like, like it used to be so much worse. Like cystic acne would just appear in a few days. Yeah. So, I mean, some practitioners say you only need to be gluten-free if you have celiac disease, which is just a full-blown allergy to gluten. But ongoing research is starting to show that there is gluten intolerance that starts at a small degree or a mo- and then it could be a moderate degree and it could go towards a higher degree and then there's celiac disease. So it just depends what level you're on. Yeah, it's, it's not just celiac. Uh, sorry, I, I'm sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you. I was just going to say it's not just celiac disease or nothing at all. There's literally celiac disease gluten sensitivity and tolerance to a certain degree and then nothing at all but we can tell you it's very rare to have nothing at all Mm -hmm. especially in the united states and i guess this is maybe a good point to talk about what i was saying earlier about the year 2006 Mm -hmm. yeah so i was listening to a podcast the other day and like i was getting really deep into um gluten it wasn't about pcos (laughs) but it was just about gluten and uh, glyphosate so glyphosate is is roundup like it's a it's a herbicide that's used to kill weeds and different kinds of um basically things that farmers don't want to grow next to their crop now back in the back in the 70s 80s they first started using this on corn and then uh later on this expanded to using it on soybeans and basically essentially a lot of crops but what they were doing was they would they used to only put the glyphosate when the plant, for example, let's talk about wheat because that's where gluten's coming from. They used to put the glyphosate on wheat back when the plant was really young. They would put the glyphosate on the wheat when it was really young before it actually was ready to harvest. So by the time that it was ready to harvest, the rain, the weather would basically make the glyphosate kind of run off and you're not eating direct glyphosate in your food. What they realized was, okay, when the wheat was ready to harvest, 
there would be, let's say, rain, rainy conditions, and it would spoil the wheat. It would make it wet, and it would make it actually start to mold, and it would re um, reduce the freshness and essentially make them lose money. So what they realize is, what if we were, um, what if we genetically modified the wheat to withstand the glyphosate, and also put the glyphosate right at the very end, right before it's harvested. Because what they found was when they put the glyphosate at the very end, it would actually dry up the wheat and actually make it even more ready to harvest and not get affected by weather, by rain, by pests, and things like that. So now essentially, they were able to increase their product or... Um, What's it called? Their harvest? Their harvest. <laughs> Let's say harvest. They were able to multiply their harvest because now they're putting glyphosate at the very end right before they pick it out so this was actually they started doing this back in 2006 and the data correlates shows that after 2006 gluten allergies sorry gluten sensitivities in the united states skyrocketed skyrocketed and this could be maybe around the time a lot of you know, women or a lot of people started to become sensitive to gluten after 2006. So if you've had gluten for a long time and you can date your data back to 2006 and be like, oh, that's when I started to feel bloating, started, started to feel like slowly like my body was working against me. It was when I started to gain weight. I'm not saying that that was the reason, but it's kind of interesting to know that science and when, you know, farmers start to use glyphosate on wheat at the very end of its cycle. That's I hope I explained super. that. You really did correctly. Yeah, All right, not, I know I explained it correctly, but I just want to make sure that it was understandable and not like confusing. No, I mean knowledge is power, and like knowing the history of gluten and what's been going on with agriculture and harvesting and everything is so important because then we can make an informed decision and see like you know what I'm you know maybe right now you're like maybe I'll test it out for 30 days and see if my symptoms like bloating and acne and weight gain start to reduce and I feel less fatigued. You know. And the interesting thing is that's when like and it comes to being like it's not just celiac disease or nothing. Yeah. You're literally putting this thing in your body that has these chemicals on it, mm -hmm. endocrine disruptors. Glyphosate has been shown to cause cancer, infertility, inflammation, mm -hmm. uh, brain de mm -hmm. degradation. Like all of these have been shown by glyphosate. So how can we tell people you can eat all the gluten you want with yeah. PCOS? Like to me, and that's the, and, so wrong. And people kind of like they don't. I don't know what's I want to say like haters okay like they don't fully do the research and like realize that glyphosate's also on corn like it's yeah. on other things yeah. too like if you're trying to reduce inflammation we're not saying go buy a bunch of gluten-free crackers and all of these processed things like a naturally occurring gluten-free diet the, the recipes that we curate and add to the sisterhood like it's really important to be careful on like what ingredients you're choosing and what you're eating as well in general yeah I remember we got a message just the other day. Someone showed the recipes in the sisterhood to her doctor and she was like, these oh, are yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yes, you should follow that. And it's like carefully curated. Wait, I want to I want to her message because you sent it to oh, me and, and, and you, you texted it to me. Like, yeah. A screenshot. I make sure that the recipes reflect what people eat as like, you know, typical home cooked meals because I don't want you to feel like you're being robbed of your like you know, home cooked meal, like meatloaf for crying out loud. Like, I don't know. So I tried to make them really relatable and not like super, super yeah. green and healthy. And not everyone's into that. Just to, just not, not to go too off subject, but I just found the message that Italian sent to me via text. And this was a screenshot of a sister sending us a message from Andrea in the sisterhood. And she said, my doctor recommended to eat dairy and gluten-free and to cut 
and to cut all sugars for a good while. At least for me, because my overgrowth is intense. She was talking about her gut health. I showed him many of the sisterhood recipes, and he said they were amazing. Mm. He said once I'm done with the cleanse, the recipes in the sisterhood are amazing to keep candida under control. And then she says, sisters, when Tyen says to check your guts, she's truly speaking the truth. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's where uh, she goes yeah. into a different topic. But just want to like, share that because me and Tyen were literally like messaging each other via text and talking about it and stuff like that. I felt very validated as a dietitian personally. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, no matter what, inflammation is inflammation. You know, if you're a little gluten sensitive or very gluten sensitive, you want to figure out like what the situation is because your gut is getting inflamed if you're sensitive and that's going to create an immune cell reaction, which can then lead to inflammation in your body and all kinds of autoimmune issues, not just PCOS, but also like Hashimoto's thyroiditis. There are studies that are actually linking gluten to Hashimoto's. And suggesting that maybe going on a gluten-free diet if you have Hashimoto's is a good idea. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting to note as well. Not to mention gluten also inflames the brain. Your gut is directly connected to your brain through the vagal nerve. It goes like um, in the back of your neck from your brain to your stomach, connects Mm -hmm. your brain to your stomach. And it sends signals And if you're experiencing brain fog, this can be a contributing factor, like eating gluten. It's called a vagus nerve, babe. I think you... Vagal. Oh. It's also vagus nerve, but... I think it's both. They call it like vasovagal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's vagus nerve or vagal nerve. I mean, I I just wanted to double check right now online, but I'm seeing both, so... So we get the idea. So gluten, gliadin, and glutamate, these are proteins found in wheat, and they can stimulate the nervous system and neurotransmitters in your brain. And they're not always listed in our food products. So um, I'm also going to list in this episode what food products have these proteins. Um, So don't worry. But, you know, it's good to know because some people are very triggered by this. Like brain fog is a common thing amongst PCOS, just feeling like you're not fully concentrating. I had this in college for sure. Like I could not focus in class. I would have to read something 10 times to really absorb it. Like it was really hard for me um, to concentrate because of the brain fog and I didn't know it was brain fog. So gluten is one thing, but one of the main proteins in gluten is gliadin. And when it's broken down, it breaks down into glutamine. Now, glutamine breaks down into glutamate. And some people don't clear glutamate very well from their body. And this is why those neurological issues could happen. Glutamate excites your nervous system, which excites your brain, and it lowers your anti-anxiety neurotransmitters. So it can trigger more anxiety and you end up with brain fog, anxiety, and stress, and it just throws off your hormones in your body as well as your immune system. So over time, glutamate, which is also inflammatory and comes from gluten being broken down, it starts to affect your nervous system, your gut, and your brain. And so I told you I was going to list some of those high glutamate foods, but first, Sirak. I just wanted to kind of explain the science behind that. You said said everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to kind of explain to like gliadin is broken down upon digestion into amino acids like proline and glutamine. Glutamine in turn breaks down into glutamate. Yeah. 
and the highest rate of this breakdown occurs usually in the small intestine and then there's like a cascade from gliadin to glutamine to glutamate as digestion occurs yeah so that's how to kind of like where all this like glutamine gliadin gluten that's where we're like it's kind of getting confusing with the glue it's coming from wheat yeah but essentially <laughs> gliadin gliadin to glutamine to glutamate is how it becomes yes and so some of the foods that contain these proteins the high glutamate are foods. msg i'm sure you've heard of it. it increases flavor sweetness and it also increases hunger yeah um and it can be very triggering for some people yeah and of course um, wheat right? yes wheat of course it has you know gluten like we said um yeast yeast extracts fermented foods kombucha including that alcohol works you know in multiple ways how do you feel about kombucha because we a love kombucha. sad yeah but I don't think that it affects me. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I have like a little cup of it every day almost. I haven't felt anything. Um, and then we have soy extracts and soy sauce that I buy gluten-free. Um, certain types of cheese, certain nuts like walnuts also have glutamate. I mean, this is for if you're really having brain fog and like yeah. neurological issues, you might want to consider seeing if cutting out glutamate containing foods helps you because it's like processed meats tomatoes which are, you know they're healthy and shellfish and mushrooms as well mm -hmm. um and then grape juice and corn yeah fruit juice grape juice corn i was like keep in mind too like there's these are all, all these different kinds of foods it doesn't mean you need to cut all these out like we yeah. want to make that clear like, they're just glutamate containing foods and if you're struggling with brain fog you might consider yeah like, like the highest ones like think about what are the biggest culprits right it's usually wheat because that's usually what contains the biggest amount of glutamate once it converts in your body is going to be from wheat these other ones of course like we're not, we're not hopefully we're not all having like alcohol every single day all throughout the hour right like we have it maybe a couple times a week or something along those lines and then like yeast extracts not a lot of people are having yeast extracts of course nuts are a bigger one but you want just like just try to see which ones have the biggest ones you know walnuts are, are a bigger one I feel like walnuts are pretty boring. Nobody likes to eat them anyways. <laughs> um, See that? Again, like... Pro walnuts are excellent. I know, I know they're super healthy. But like processed How meats, again, you. like we don't recommend eating processed meats every day anyways, right? Because we all know like processed meats have a lot of, um, you know, like uh, preservatives and things like that. That's not healthy for us. The hard one here, to me, the hardest one is tomatoes because I love tomatoes. But again, it's not like I have a ton every single day or we, have, we don't have a ton every single day. Shellfish, I don't really like fish um okay who likes mushrooms <laughs> okay see that that's corn enough. i mean corn's a big one but you know we're just we're, <laughs> like you know you make your priorities here okay so just you know what that's for if you have like, i just crap on every single food that for people, me, people might like i think if you have pcos try going gluten-free not glutamate free but gluten-free at least yeah, exactly and just see how you feel after 30 days and if your symptoms of pcos improve um and you're probably wondering like what if you know, I add them back in. Can I ever add them back in? The, the answer is if you reduce your inflammation, you should be able to occasionally have it without having this huge reaction. Now, if you have it after cutting it out for 30 days and you have a huge reaction, then you, you have a ways to go with reducing your inflammation. It might take a bit of time. You know, for me, I, I did it for like a full year before like reintroducing it and fully like being okay with having some and not seeing a reaction so it did for take gluten a, yeah like it took me a while not even but a year, I feel like, like now longer. you don't really eat gluten no any, i don't i never see you eating gluten if, like if i'm in europe for yeah. example, my bachelor party like i had a bite of a croissant like we had some desserts like it was fun um, but it wasn't every day and it wasn't like i didn't yeah. have a whole croissant every morning but you know it was fine yeah i agree i mean like that's the thing right like with europe 
they don't use glyphosate or at least a lot of the countries yeah, like, they don't use glyphosate too. on their on their um wheat and things like that they don't yeah. use the same kind of cows that we use here for dairy too like there's a lot of big differences that's why like when you go to europe and you eat pasta there or you eat cheese there you don't feel the same side effects that you do here because unfortunately in the u.s we're kind of you know people are making us sick just to make money off of us it seems like that's that's the sad truth for for a lot of people you know it's like a this is a world this is a country where they make more money off of sick people than Mm -hmm. healthy people and i mean you know every country has their own problems that's that's one of our problems it's true so anyways there are a lot of gluten-free alternatives you can try i've been loving cassava flour tacos instead of the corn tacos yeah corn is gluten-free but as i said you know the glyphosate so i try not to have like corn all the time and you can have organic like pesticide free corn or you know different kinds of foods too but you know i i eat corn it's just like i don't want to have it all the time so i got the cassava tacos the ingredients are good it's from siete you can find some great stuff that are gluten-free and we talk all about it in the sisterhood and also on instagram yeah exactly and with a lot of these like foods too like if if you're thinking about pesticides you're thinking about corn like things like that like if you go to your local farmer's market, you're going to get a lot better quality foods that don't have pesticides. Of course, some farmers will do it, but you want to find one in the farmer's market that's certified organic that you can trust. So and then you know, just go from there and see how you feel like it's really up to you, like with going gluten free, like Italian is essentially 100% gluten and dairy free. Like she said, there are times where like once in a while she'll have gluten or dairy, but like it's that consistency that makes you feel really good. And once you feel really good, you don't really want to go back to eating the foods that don't make you feel good. So it's not really about restricting. It's about nourishing your body. And you only know if you're nourishing based on like how you feel. So it's just it's a experimental thing. As much as we don't want to, you know, as, as much as we want to give you like direct what to do, do one, two, three, four, five. It's at the end of the day, every person is individual. You should take an approach where you're thinking, OK, is this going to be right for me and go with that approach? Yes. So sisters, I hope you enjoyed this episode and it was eye-opening and let us know if you decide to go gluten-free and how it works out for you. Yeah, exactly. And if you you want us to expand more on any of these topics, let us know. We're definitely going to do more gluten-free, dairy-free episodes, talk more about the science. Tyne and I were thinking like, oh, like we're not, we haven't done a gluten episode in a minute to explain Mm -hmm. more science or the new science behind it. So I think we're going to make it a, a habit to do that a lot more often, at least once every two months or once a month to do a gluten and dairy uh, episode. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us, sisters. We hope to see you next time. Have a great week. On a sister and her mister. Oh, all official. (laughs) Take care, everybody. We love you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye. Hey, sisters. Just wanted to let you know that all of our podcast episodes have corresponding blog posts that dive deeper into each topic. So head over to PCOSWeightLoss.org slash blog. Is it slash or is it backslash blog? I don't know. I've always heard one or the other. It's forward slash. Or slash? Just in case, you can also go to PCOSWeightLoss.org.